Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now hello everyone children everywhere this is your old pal alistair sim <laughs> and you might remember me as the representative of the scariest holiday of all time, Christmas. <laughs> <coughs> I'm sorry, in my time we smoke a lot. <laughs> but I'm making a special appearance today to visit you for this other holiday that is also quite scary. Halloween. <laughs> For today, the boys of Brendan and Jason are going to watch an absolutely terrifying film that will tickle your toes as if they were being tickled with pins of steel, which would not feel very nice at all, no, it wouldn't. No, the boys are going to watch the classic 1973 film called The Wicker Man. And there is no Nicolas Cage in this one, I assure you. <laughs> but that's enough of me. I have to get back to Christmas Town. For now, you need to see Brendan and Jason here on for screen and country. Merry Christmas. A lot of mixed messages there. Yeah, I don't know quite what he was going for. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, it's Christmas or Halloween, but I feel festive just the same. That's right. Happy Halloween, everyone. In three days. Close enough. Close enough. This is a... Uh, yeah, so Jason, as you said... Well, you're, you're Jason. And you're Brendan. And this is for Scream... And Country. <laughs> Scary edition. For... Scream and country. Uh, for scream and country? No, that's not scary. Hunting. I mean, kind of scary, but keep going. Muntry, mm, country. Yep. For scream and monsters. For screen and monsters. Screen. I'm saying scream. Oh. For scream. And... I don't understand how this works. All right. You don't get. You don't get it. I don't really get this sort of thing. Ah, oh, Jason. Down with this sort of thing. You're such fact. a young child at heart. <laughs> but we are, uh, of course, we didn't roll the dice last time. No. We, last week, we uh, we just said, you know what, Halloween's coming up. Let's pick a spooky movie from the list because there aren't there ain't many. No. Um. As as best of lists award shows tend to do. Horror movies often underutilized, underrepresented. So we decided to do The Wicker Man. Because we already did Don't Look Now. We already did Don't Look Now. So we did do one of the horror movies. Yes. I think there's only like one other one, maybe two yeah. on the list coming up. But that we did number 96 on the list, The Wicker Man. Now before we get into this, though, Jason. Jason, we're going to read some comments. Some comments about The Bells of St. Trinian's. Ooh, did people see this movie? Well... 
No, uh, yeah. Yeah? A few. <laughs> Some of them? Some of them. Maybe? Uh, we are going to talk about, because uh, we, of course, we did this episode two weeks ago, because last week, of course, we talked about Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. as well as uh, TV to movie adaptations. That was a fun, that was a fun episode. Yeah, a little excursion yeah, from the list. Yeah, it was good. I like to excurge every now and then. That's right. It's healthy to do that once a day. Oh, yeah. Once a day. It's good for your prostate. I'm going to read a really long comment, and then I'll give you the last few, because there's a really long comment here. Good. I'm glad somebody wrote a really long comment. So from, and I've done it to myself again with the pronunciation, but it's E-O-L-A-N. So I'm going to assume it's Eolan. Eolan Allen, perhaps. Eolan Allen. Eolan Allen. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. That's That's a rough moniker. I know he listens, so... Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, so about the Bells of St. Trinians, he says, I managed to catch this. I liked it and couldn't find much fault. But just felt it was good rather than great. Felt the two recent com- comedies reviewed on this show had a bit extra with their social commentary. So, of course, he's referring to Passport to Pimlico mm-hmm. and I'm All Right, Jack. Yes. Uh, and I think we talked about that, too. How those ones had a little bit more going for them. Yeah, they were clearly wise. written as like hard, like harder satires, I'd say, than the Bells of St. Trinian's. Uh, the, the satire in this movie seems to have come a little more just under the surface with the comedy of it all rather than being the point, maybe. Mm. But, sorry, continue the comment. We know it's very long. Yes. <laughs> Um, he also says, I think this film demonstrated that the concept of show, don't tell isn't always the best. Some of the key scenes that showed how menacing the schoolgirls were at the train station at the hockey match hardly showed anything, but it worked based on the reactions and the manic noise that was created. Uh, if they tried to emulate what was happening visually, I expect it would have been a damp squid and not match the viewer's imagination. <laughs> Apparently there were some carry-on cameos uh, from uh, one Joan Sims and Sid James before hmm. that franchise launched. So this was pre-carry-on. Oh, perhaps a genesis of something. <laughs> a Sega genesis? Yes, the best genesis. And then he finishes by saying, For viewers of a certain vintage round Britain, the most notable actor who became famous later on is George Cole as Flash Harry. Looked nothing like he would later on when he became famous in the 80s TV show Minder. Minder? Is that about a person who takes care of stuff? It's like like an assassin? The Minder? He's like, can you uh, trim those hedges? Sure, I don't mind. I don't mind, do I? The Minder. (laughs) Seven o'clock on Fox. <laughs> it's like the closer with Kira Sedgwick. That's right. My friend watched uh, Justin. Actually, watched all five seasons of that Justin Gadet. Of the closer, yeah. That's such a random yeah, fact no, about our friend But he friend liked Justin. it, I guess. You liked it enough to watch it all. That is the most random thing I've ever heard. So uh, we have a comment from the the legendary Christopher Lloyd. Who says, all I can say is that Alistair Sim was the best Scrooge, not in this movie, of course, and I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. Sorry, let me do that again. Oh, oh, all I can say is uh, Alistair Sim was the be- I'm doing Jimmy Stewart again. I'm just going into Jimmy Stewart. Just do Stewart. I, I, I was so close. I did. I had it good before the podcast. I was... All right, it says, as Jimmy Stewart, well, all I can say is that Alistair Sim was the best Scrooge. Not in this movie, of course. And I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. There we go. Ah, see. Yeah, no, he's he's a great Scrooge for sure. He's that wonderful voice. I've never seen uh, his Scrooge movie. Me neither, but still, he can't be that bad. Which one is he in? Uh, I think it's called uh, uh, Muppet uh, Christmas Carol. A Muppet Christmas Carol. That's the one. Yeah, I think it, I think it's just called A Christmas Carol from like 1938 or something. The, that's the Muppet one. Yeah, 1938. Yeah, they were <laughs> they were made of uh, cotton back then. That, yeah, I was gonna say that's when they were Muppet babies. Yeah. <laughs> Midi yarn. Mark Allen, he says, I know the delightful score by Malcolm Arnold, but not the movie. Weird. 
Weird. Yeah. That's a weird thing to say, Mark. How would you know the score of this movie, but not the movie? Hmm. Where does that come up? That's a. You let us know. Let us d- d- tell us. I want to dig a little deeper on this. Why do you know the score to this movie, but not the movie? Well, you know, we all we all own a copy of the Bells of Saint Trinian soundtrack. I suppose uh, growing up, it was in everybody's home. <laughs> yeah, I had that. I had it right next to my uh, DVD copy of uh, Stigmata. Absolutely. In your Kevin Bacon collection. Fun fact, Stigmata was the first DVD I ever owned. Really? Wow. The first DVD I ever owned was Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Can I tell you why Stigmata was the first DVD I ever Uh, owned? Because it was on sale? Uh, Because I received a DVD player for, I think it was my birthday or Christmas one year. I think Mm -hmm. it was my birthday. Yeah. And the person that bought it didn't really know much about movies. And they're like, this is a movie. Yeah. You know, you ha- everybody has that person in their oh, life. Oh, absolutely. They're like, you it's know like, what? Oh, it's on DVD. It's on DVD. It's a movie. I'm sure they'll like it. When I got my DVD player, which my mom won in a contest, uh, there was a coupon you could send in for three free movies. So the three free movies I got with the DVD player that oh, I don't think I ever Paul watched Man. any of them was Lethal Weapon 4. Oh, okay. Uh, Romeo Must Die, starring Jet Li. Oh. And the sequel to... Uh, Jet Li is in both those movies. Yeah, uh, maybe it was a Jet Li pack. I don't think he's in the third one, which was the sequel to uh, uh, oh, why can't I think of it? the Harrison Ford movie? With the, Air Force with, Two with the one Aaron Bandit. Oh, U.S. Marshals. It was U.S. Marshals, but what was that movie called? The original. Why can't I think of it? The Fugitive. The Fugitive. Yeah, it was a sequel to the Fugitive with Tommy Lee Jones and Mario Van Peebles. So they had the U.S. Marshals. Yeah, yeah, it was U.S. Marshals. Okay, so yeah, no, no, I knew the title of that. I was trying oh, to remember the first one. Yeah, I don't know yeah, why yeah. I forgot that one. The Fugitive. Jesus, is that the one that Harrison Ford's not in? He's uh, not in U.S. Marshals. No, right? no, no. Okay. It's just Tommy Lee Jones and Mario Van Peebles. And then we got one more comment. Okay. Enough talk of uh, U.S. Marshals more than it deserves in any capacity. Stay tuned for our U.S. Marshals episode <laughs> where we go through it. Uh, Kathy O'Connell says, I know the pure hell of St. Trinian's because it showed up on TV in the 60s. I loved it, but I was a weird kid. Well, you watch what's on TV, and in the 60s, uh, you know, there was, what, three channels? Maybe two if you were in England? I think when you're a kid, you just get excited to see any movie. Well, that's, well, I mean, it's, I think it might be different now just because of the availability of media. But yes, definitely when we were kids and our options were more limited i was like what, a movie's on tv are you kidding me oh, i yeah. could see and watch something for two hours well the, the, and, and especially be an event like you know the yearly airing of uh, wizard of oz say or yeah. or um air force uh, one air force one exactly <laughs> or the million the millionth time maximum overdrive played on tbs mm-hmm. or, uh, well shawshank redemption for years i thought the censored version was the real version yeah. you should have seen my face when i saw <laughs> the real version oh boy so thank you for all those comments. We love comments. We, we love, love reading them. We love uh, to know that you're paying attention. We've been getting some random tweets on Twitter too, which is awesome. Just people. I just had a gentleman the other day. A gentleman. A gentleman. I'm getting my customer service voice. <laughs> I don't have my tag on anymore. Thank God. Um, I said a gentleman the other day on Twitter say that uh, he was doing a David Lean rewatch. Rewatching some classic David Lean films. Stumbled upon our podcast and really enjoyed it. So and he's got awesome. at least three from us to listen to. I think we've done three. We did Bridge. We did uh, uh, Lawrence. Lawrence, and we did uh, Doctor Zhivago. Right, that's three epics. There you go. It's crazy that we already got those out of the way. We haven't the even big ones. touched the, the other ones. No, I'd say Oliver Twist is a pretty big one. Yeah, but not like I don't know that it's remembered in the same way that these ones no, are. No, 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 no. It'll be interesting to see if we even like those ones. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. But more on that later. Nah. But anyway, um, so the final part of this little preamble here is we are going to uh, do a little comparison. Uh, with the American Film Institute Top 100. So, The Bells of St. Trinian's is number 94 on the BFI Top late, 100. Late in the list. Very late in the list, but here we go, Jason. Yeah. Number 94 on the AFI Top 100 is a little um, unknown film 
called Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. And I'm going to say right now, Pulp Fiction by a fucking landslide. I agree, but what about if Quentin Tarantino remade The Bells of St. Trinian's? Do you think he would go to jail right away, or do you think it would take a while for them to get for get to get through the system? Can you go to jail for showing a lot of shots of little girls' feet? That's a good question. I'm gonna have to look into that. I'll call my lawyer. Guys, get out of don't get out of don't no, yeah, don't we don't want to hear it. I don't want pictures. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want explanations. I don't want anything like that. Nothing. Just, just don't get keep us, it yourself. Get at us on Twitter. Not for that. Not for that. But anyway, <laughs> anywho, we are gonna get into it. We're gonna get into this week's episode, Jason. Uh, so now that we've done that, Jason, we have wrapped all that up in a nice little bow. We're done talking about the Bells of St. Trinians for now. Mm-hmm. We are going to dive into this week's film, a very spooky film for a spooky episode. So it's very spooky. The Wicker Man. Was upon a llama's night when corn rigs are bonnie. Beneath the moon's unclouded light, I held a while to Annie. The time went by with careless heed till tween the late and early. With small persuasion, she agreed to see me through the barley. Corn rigs and barley rigs and corn rigs are bonnie. I'll not forget that happy night. And with that terrifying music, (laughs) with that terrifying Scottish folk song, you may be saying, this is a horror film? Yes, it is. I assure you. I assure you it is a horror film. Uh, The Wicker Man, number 96 on the list. 96. Wow, Hmm. holy shit. Late. Very late. Um, and again, a horror film. I'm not yeah. surprised. Although, Don't Look Now was number seven, I think. So, yeah. it, it, I guess it just depends. Maybe that's more a prestige picture. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Donnie Suds, come on. Don, what? Donnie Suds. Oh, I thought, I thought you meant Donnie. I don't know why I thought you meant Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> what? There's a midget chasing me around. There's a midget. He's chasing me. He would use that word, too. Yeah, he would. Uh, but we were talking about The Waker Man, number 96, 73, uh, 1973. Starring Edward Woodward, which is a hard name to say. It is a real hard name to say. As Sergeant Howie. Uh, Christopher Lee as Lord Summer Isle. Uh, Britt Eklund oh, mm. oh, mm. as Willow. Uh, Diane uh, Salanti, I believe, as Miss Rose, the teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ingrid Pitt as the librarian. And Lindsay Kemp as McGregor, the mm-hmm. landlord slash bartender. So, I mean, uh, Christopher Lee and Britt Eklund I knew of. The mm-hmm. rest, not so sure. But this is The Wicker Man. This is a, a scary movie, Jason. Yes, very so scary. what is The Wicker Man all about? Well, the movie opens up, Brendan, with the scariest thing one can receive, an anonymous letter. Mm-hmm. So this anonymous letter to the police station is from Summer Isle, which is in the north of Scotland, and it indicates anonymously... The young girl on the island, uh, one Rowan Morrissey. Morrison, I believe. Morrison, Morrison. Yeah, like Van. Like Van, not like David. No. Um, one Rowan Morrison has gone missing, a mm. 12-year-old girl of whom a helpful photo is provided. Very helpful. So, 
Sergeant Howie. I just call him the sergeant throughout my thing because I don't know that they ever say his name, do they? I think they say Howie. Probably once. Yeah. But uh, the sergeant uh, decides to fly solo out to the north of Scotland, which I'm sure was a lovely flight. It is a very beautiful opening to the movie. It's absolutely stunning. Going to say this right now. Yeah. Local hero. Oh, yeah, lo- like local hero. Like local hero. This whole thing, this, the way this opens, it's yeah. very, like, folksy and charming until we get to, obviously, later stuff. But it starts out... I didn't think about it while I was watching it, but in a lot of ways, this this movie is kind of the way I thought local hero was going to go. Uh, if local hero had been a much darker movie, like... Yeah, <laughs> very much so. But, uh, uh, and also, speaking of beauty, just to mention right out of the gate, Props to Criterion. This movie looks fucking phenomenal. Fantastic transfer. From a, a British film from the 70s. Like, it's got nary a spot on it. Well, God save the queen. And God save the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he flies solo up there. And, and things are a bit weird from the start. Because when he lands, lands his little pontoon boat with the crazy propeller on top. Which my girlfriend, who's a bit of a... Uh, has a bit of an interest in aircraft. Uh, it was uh, surprised by. She'd never seen such a thing before. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, so, right at the gate, things are weird, because he asked for help getting to land, like, for them to send a dinghy, because there's a bunch of guys congregating on the shore at the harbor, mm-hmm. but they don't want to do it. The guy's like, no, it's private property, you can't come here. And he's like, look, look at my stripes, I'm a goddamn sergeant, I'm a police officer, you don't get to decide that. I received a complaint letter from someone on this island. Yeah, I, I, got, I got reason to be here, so fuck off and bring me in. Yeah. So, they do. And so he questions the locals about it. He, he says, hey, I'm looking for this girl. And he shows them all the picture. And they're all like, no, we don't know who this girl is. We've never seen her before. Never heard of her. And it's like, well, what about the, her mom? Uh, which, what was her name? Oh, God, I don't even remember. Yeah, well, anyways, the mom, we'll call her Joy. Uh, Joy. <laughs> old Joy. It's like, yeah, we know her, though. She lives down in town. She runs the sweet slash post shop. So go check her out. So he does. She has a lot of rabbits. Sorry, large hairs. Hairs, yes, absolutely. The hairs, not rabbits. Um, and she also has a lot of weird looking, uh, confections that she sells there as well as posting mail. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes to ask her about her daughter and it turns out she says, no, I, I have a daughter and she's right here. She's nine years old. And there's a girl in the back drawing pictures of hairs. And he's of course really confused. So he chats with her for a bit and then gets the kind of the daughter alone for a moment and corners her. And, uh. I mean, that sounds very dark. I was like, I don't, I don't remember this part. <laughs> no, he gets down beside her, and he just says, hey, do you know uh, do you know Rowan? And she's like, yeah, I know Rowan. He's like, oh, where's Rowan? Oh, Rowan's out playing in the field. And he says, uh, well, is Rowan coming back for tea? And uh, she says, she laughs, and she's like, no, Rowan doesn't come back for tea. Why, why not? Well, hares don't come back for tea. Turns out Rowan she's talking about is a hare. Mm-hmm. Goddamn rabbit. A hare. A hare named Rowan. Yeah. The, the much... Uh, beloved sequel to a boy named Sue. Yeah, absolutely. So the sergeant being the sergeant, and where's the next place he's got to go? Well, he's got to head to the pub, where there's much drinking and revelry going on, because they're in a small town and there's nothing else to do. So they're dancing around and singing, and and do you have a clip? I would love to play this Please clip. Please play the clip. Because <laughs> it's the most inappropriate song. It is absolutely the most inappropriate song. The song that you're going to hear is called The Landlord's Daughter, and yes. this creepy-ass song is being sung by a bunch of old men while the literal landlord's daughter, Willow, is walking around and sort of uh, smiling and kind of eating it up. And Willow. the landlord, who's like kind of enjoying it, too. Yeah, yeah, her, her own dad. And keep in mind that while this is playing, the shots during this scene, like you're seeing people shot from below, 
the people singing it, and it's kind of the ca- camera's kind of tilted a little bit. Yeah. So it's kind of got that something's off feel about the whole thing anyway. A little bit of upskirt action. Come. Yeah. Well, just like you know, from yeah. the shot from below on their faces, so it's very like they're dominating the frame, yes. looking down on you. A little bit of a Dutch angle, maybe. A little bit of a Dutch angle, yeah, because it's like, oh, something's not quite right about this shot, and just keep that in mind while you listen to these very creepy lyrics. Good evening. Show the sergeant to his room. Much has been said of the strumpets of yore. Oh, wenches and baldy house queens by the score. But I sing of the baggage that we all adore. The landlord's daughter, you'll never love another. Although she's not the kind of girl to take home to your mother. is lively and strong to the taste. It is brewed with discretion, never with haste. You can have all you like if you swear not to waste. The landlord's daughter, and when her name is mentioned, the parts of every gentleman do stand up at attention. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a creepy song. And, of course, you know, when you have that guy saying the parts stand up at attention. But if you were watching, like, this is the thing about this movie, Jason. Mm. If you were watching, if this was brought in as a quirky comedy, yeah. this scene still works. Yeah, absolutely. This movie is a horror, and this scene still operates on that level, too. Yeah, absolutely. Go back to Local Hero for a second. Wouldn't have been crazy if he'd have gone into the bar Local Hero and there was uh, a Wedge Antilles singing this song. Uh, There's literally a scene in Local Hero where that Russian dude is singing. Yeah. But it's obviously filmed differently yes. and handled differently. Mm-hmm. So you, it just shows, like, with filmmaking, it's just that little touch yeah, exactly. that changes it from hilarious to sheer horror. To weird, to weird or creepy or whatever. Um, and also, the for another brief episode of Is Jason an Asshole, uh, I, and you know, because I always want to point out when I have uh, blind spots that I make assumptions and then it turns out not to be true. Um, the moment that bartender showed up on screen, I assumed he was gay. I think he's he's almost he seems like he's coded as gay. It's it's possible. Well, that's what was my initial thought. And then he said, "Oh, I have a daughter." And then I mean, he thought, "Oh, well, he can't be gay then." And then I realized, well, no, there are plenty of gay people in this world that have kids for one reason. Or it another. also <laughs> it also judging by the weird nature of this film, is yeah. that his biological daughter? Yeah. Also, I think it's possible that he could just be a creepy dude in the vein of like a Vincent Price, who's you know not gay, but. You could see him coded that way. Like, like his roles often yeah. felt coded that way. Was it's it surprise gay? Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. I don't believe so. But it's all... But I know what you mean. But it's yeah. almost like... It's almost like this. his character is like right out of a 30s film where you mm. literally couldn't have a gay character, but no, you'd absolutely. have people coded as gay. Yeah. Like, um... What's his name in uh, Maltese Falcon? Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre. Yeah. Or in several movies. He's yeah, oh, absolutely. He's coded as being gay, totally. and, he, and he... Yeah, they couldn't just come out and say it. And they have a Weasley guy. They have the gay guy. But yeah, they're singing about Britt Eklund playing yeah. Landlord's Daughter, who is goddamn beautiful oh, in this absolutely. movie. absolutely. And it may surprise you to know this, Jason. She's 30 wow. in this movie. She she's looks like she's 18. She's toit. Yeah. Very toit. <laughs> so, uh, well, after that song happens, he the, everybody's partying, and there's some skirt chasing going on, and some, some humping, some air humping. Uh, but then he goes up to the bar and bangs his mug on the bar to get everybody's attention and just kills the party right dead. And he says, you know, I'm here to find this girl. Uh... Kind of, he's kind of like T one thousand in a lot of ways. You know, he's like, "Have you seen this girl?" Yeah, yeah. He, so, he, except he can't shape shift, so far as we know. Well, but at the end of the movie, who knows what happens? You never know. Yeah. 
So he tells everybody, this is the girl. Does anybody know who this is? And of course, no one seems to know anything about her. And so he's like looking around the bar and then they're on the, fo- on the wall, they have a bunch of photos of local girls who were the queen of the harvest. Mm-hmm. And each of them is pictured with a bounty of vegetables and fruits and things that were grown. Um, but one of the pictures is missing. And he asks why. And somebody says, oh, it's, it got broke. Uh, yeah, it got broke. Uh, what are you going to do? That's the ticket. That's yeah. the ticket. It got broke, yeah. Flying Japanese sand tigers. So he's on this. So the thing is, he's on this island that is reputed for its uh, its harvest. They they grow a lot of food there that is uh, exported. Um, but he sits down for a meal and is served a shitty meal of mostly canned foods, mm-hmm. which he's quite surprised at because like, again, don't you grow food? Here? Don't you people grow food here? Like yeah. yeah. And and then he asks for an apple and she says oh, we don't have any and he's like an apple? You don't have an apple? You're, you you guys that's what you do? You should grow apples. She's like yeah no don't have any apples. So he's not real happy with his meal. And so he decides to take a walk after supper, like one often does. Mm-hmm. And while he's on his walk, he sees a large number of people just openly fucking in the street. Like, straight up, a bunch of ladies, like, straddling their dudes, riding their dicks and, in the street. Uh, a naked woman crying over a gravestone. Naked woman crying over a gravestone. She's very distraught. It's very... And then and then also we have a whole bunch of people doing something in a graveyard, which, look, were they making tea? Were they cooking? It, it kind of flashed too fast for me to realize, but they were all clothed. Very odd. Very odd. And also some weird slow motion in this scene of, like, static shots that hold for a sec and then... Yeah. I'm assuming that's what happened. It wasn't just my internet connection. <laughs> no, it was. It was definitely. Yeah, it was definitely. It definitely does have random slow motion when he's like walking through the. And now we have to understand, of course, uh, the sergeant is a straight-laced police officer from elsewhere. Uh, Christian to the T. Christian to the T. He's Catholic as shit. Uh, we know this because we see him have a flashback as he prays uh, of being in church and, and getting the Eucharist and all that stuff. This guy is very devout Catholic. He's, he's the kind that doesn't even believe in sex before marriage. Does not believe in sex before marriage. I mean, Which I think both of us can fully agree with absolutely. and are on board with. Nobody should ever have sex before marriage. Brendan and I are in our 30s and are total virgins because <laughs> we respect the sanctity of the penis. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways... Speaking of the sanctity of the penis... 43-year-old virgin. Um, so, yeah, so so he, after his walk, he, he sees all this stuff, and it's just it, it's just absolutely pearl-clutching for him. I mean, it, it, number one, he's a Catholic, but number two, he's a, he's a Brit. Hmm. So he's like the most repressed person on the planet. Well, he's very dour. Very dour, very repressed. Yep. So he decides, well, the only way I can deal with this is to go home and go to bed. And he does. He lays down. But somehow... <laughs> somehow he starts uh, engaging in what is either a fever dream or a hallucination or some weird metaphysical connection because in the net room next to him the landlord's daughter Willow is quite naked yes and, and with she, very pretty uh, very pretty boobs oh she is gorgeous yeah, absolutely absolutely and she is do is she singing a, it's another song that yeah, comes up another here, song which, which again i'm gonna play a clip of this because this movie has a lot of music yes and um yeah just listen to this because this is her song of like seduction and you think the landlord's song the landlord's daughter song was weird just wait till you hear this and just imagine she's dancing around the room slowly she's banging on the wall while he's in the other room getting very uncomfortable he's getting very uncomfortable but then eventually gets up against the wall and, and is it is clearly being tempted by this siren almost leaves almost almost leaves the room is reaching for the doorknob and after we listen to this clip i just want to tell you something after it real All quick right. so let's take a let's take a quick listen Oh, 
And I want to apologize for that clip running a little long, but Jason and I could not stop looking at those titties. Yes, uh, we're, we're gross. The, the restoration of this movie is lovely, and it is on display in that scene. We are gross men. Yes. Apologies, <laughs> folks. We're doing our best. But yeah, so she's singing that song, and yeah, it's like I don't quite fully understand what's happening, because like you said, she's sort of like a siren. Yeah. I mean, he, I, mean he, I guess he hears her from the next yeah. room, because she's kind of tapping on the wall, and... I don't know. It's weird because, like, it's never shown that anyone is more than human. No. So maybe just her singing and the fact that he's already seen her? My, my theory is is the fact that... Uh, so I, I looked up Edward Woodward's age just to get an idea how old, say, the character is in this movie. And I believe Edward Woodward was 43 when this movie was made. So, okay. so we have to understand that this guy... And we learn this in the next scene in the next morning when she comes in to wake him up and says, you know, I invited you to come in last night. Yeah. Uh, and he says, uh, hey, he's like, look, I'm married... Or I'm, I'm engaged to be married and I don't believe in sex before marriage. So he's a 43-year-old virgin. So even the whisper... Of of uh, just a, of of a wet dick is enough to get him up against the goddamn wall, ready to fuck it. Uh, but he holds off. He heroically resists the temptation to go what, into the room what a because great, he happened to hear her singing. What a great man! I wonder if uh, if she just was like in her room and being like, "Hey," and that was what was in his head. It was the like his personal interpretation of what she was. Uh, doing, she was like, "Hey, you want to come into my room?" And that's what he pictures. I wonder because like it's it's a very like it's a very like symbolic scene. Mm. Like I don't think it's meant to be taken literally. No, it's got a very dreamlike quality too. Yeah, and it's almost like like you said, it, a fever dream maybe, mm. maybe just yeah. like it. And he's so horny that his brain is driving him crazy. Well, and they did give him a drink at this point, right? He did have yes. a drink. I'm wondering if there's something in that drink. Well, that and that certainly is a possibility given what happens in the rest of the well, movie. Well, let's let's keep going, Jason. Let's keep going here. So the next day he goes outside and sees there's a maypole a maypole ceremony going on with a with all the towns it seems to be all the towns men and boys. Mm-hmm. And it's um, another song. Another song. They're another singing a wonderful song. Children's song. Yeah, and, and all the boys are tied up to uh, various strips on the maypole and they're all dancing around and there's violins and mandolins and all sorts of instruments and singing and... and Jason, I have one question for sure. you. Sure. What does the maypole represent? The maypole represents the penis. Yes. It's and very phallic. Mm, phallic symbol. Phallic symbol and the power of the penis. In the woods there grew a tree. And a fine, fine tree was he. And on that tree there was a limb, and on that limb there was a branch, and on that branch there was a nest, and in that nest there was an egg, and in that egg there was a bird, and from that bird a feather came, and of that feather was a bed. And on that bed there was a girl, and on that girl there was a man, and from that man there was a seed, and from that seed there was a boy, and from that boy there was a man, and for that man there was a grave, and from that grave there grew a tree. So that's what uh, the sergeant hears when he wanders over to a nearby classroom where girls are, 
And the lesson that the teacher is teaching is about the maypole and about how it's a phallic symbol. And, of course, he's immediately, again, pearls clutched. He mm. just can't believe it. And he pulls her aside and he's like, you're teaching these children this filth. It's almost to the point where, like, I know he's the hero, quote mm. unquote, but he is a Mm, he's too much at he is, times. He is a lot. And at times I'm like, I kind of don't like you. No, no, absolutely. And, like, if this was any other movie, if this was like a Monty Python movie, he'd be the villain. Oh, or, or he'd be this comedic, like, you know, just so out of touch and so mm-hmm. repressed. Right. Um, but I think that that's also re- reflective of maybe the time this movie was made. And I don't think the pagans are presented necessarily in a no. completely one-sided way. No, this this movie, the, the horror, I mean, and we'll get to it, but the horror in this movie really comes from the fact that it's like, oh, these people who aren't Christian are doing something that we don't like? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, and, but I mean, but I'm saying, like, I think they're also being represented in a kind of even-handed way. Yeah, well, I mean, like, there are, yes, absolutely. They obviously, we'll get to the ending when shit goes down. Yeah. But even up to that point, I mean, Christopher Lee, when he starts showing up on the scene, he's making some decent points. Making decent points, and he's explaining stuff that doesn't sound totally crazy. Right. Uh, at least until he starts talking about reproduction without sex and yeah. the more uh, esoteric stuff. But, um, so yeah, he talks to the the, the teacher and he, and he basically is threatening her to bring the government in because she's being so dirty. But then he's like, I also got to talk to your class about this girl. He shows them all a picture of the girl. No, all of them deny knowing this girl, which is weird because there's an empty desk mm-hmm. in the room. Uh, and he goes over to the desk and opens it up, and there's a <laughs> there's a beetle inside the desk that has had a string tied to it, and it is uh, going around uh, in a circle, tied to a post, and it is going around in a circle until eventually it will strangle itself. Kind of what they were doing at the Maypole. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And and the little girl thinks it's real funny, mm-hmm. and he doesn't think it's particularly funny. No. Uh, but anyways, so he. Oh, I can't believe I forgot that. Sorry, I said I was going to say something in yes. that song, and I totally forgot to mention it. So, there's two versions of this movie. Yes. There's an 88-minute version, which is the one we watched. Yes. And I also saw that there was a 93-minute version. Mm -hmm. 93-minute version adds a scene early in the film that has uh, Willow and Lord Summerisle having a conversation, I think, about what they're planning on doing. Oh, Which really? is really strange, because they have that early in the movie. I didn't actually watch the extra scene. I kind of yeah. glanced through it a little bit. And then the scene where she is actually dancing and mm. kind of seducing him from the other room is at, like, the 55-minute mark. Weird. Yeah. Weird. What a weird... I didn't even... I will have to look that up and see what uh, why that is. Um, sorry. That's okay. So, yeah, so he... Uh, so he demands to see the class ledger, which would have all the students listed on it, and she doesn't want to show it to him, and so he breaks it open, or gets in the drawer and pulls it out, and sure enough, Rowan Morrison is in there. So he's like, I know she's real. I know she's real. Yo, what a bunch of little liars. And he demands to know where she is, and I think the, she suggests that he that she's in the churchyard yes. uh, down there. So he heads down there and finds the, uh, the caretaker of the churchyard, I guess the groundsman, uh, standing by a fresh grave mm-hmm. with a tree planted in it and a piece of navel skin? Is that described as? Yeah. It looks like an umbilical cord to me. Uh, you know what? To me, it looked like a big strip of bacon. Big strip of bacon, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so he's like, yeah, there's Rowan in there. And he's like, well, shit, she's dead, and they've got a grave. So he's like, well, I need to exhume the grave. i got to deal oh, with that. Oh, in order to do that, sir, you need to get permission from Lord Summerisle. That's right. And so he does go there, but I, I think he stops again at the mother's house to confront her, being like, hey, I saw the, the grave and everything, and she just has no interest in talking. While the her. mother is putting a frog in her daughter's throat to get rid of her sore throat. To get rid of her sore throat, certainly. You hear him ribbit? There, he's got your sore throat now. Uh, but, yeah, he she stonewalls him again, and so he uh, goes to the local records archive and threatens the secretary there with arrest uh, if she won't give him access to the archives. Mm-hmm. And so she does, and... 
But there's no record of Rowan's death, and the secretary doesn't really know anything about it other than her name, or at least claims to not know anything about it, of course. He goes to visit the chemist, local chemist, who's been taking all the photographs, who took the photographs uh, of the girls in the uh, Harvest Queen contest thing. Uh, but he doesn't have any uh, copies of the photo, of course. Right. Um, and doesn't really know anything and won't tell him anything. He's getting the runaround. He's getting the runaround. So he heads to the to see the Lord himself. Lord Summerisle, played by the greatest Jedi that ever was, Christopher Lee. Um, and uh, let's take a listen to a little bit of their conversation here. Um, because uh, it's it's an interesting one. And they kind of get into this argument about uh, Christianity and paganism. Hmm. And I just want to play a little example of their kind of back and forth here. Good afternoon, Sergeant Howie. I trust the sight of the young people refreshes you. No, sir. It does not refresh me. Oh, I'm sorry. One should always be open to the regenerative influences. I understand you're looking for a missing girl. I found her. Splendid. In her grave. Your Lordship is a Justice of the Peace. I need your permission to exhume her body, have it transported to the mainland for a pathologist's report. You suspect uh, foul play? I suspect murder and conspiracy to murder. In that case, you must go ahead. Your Lordship seems strangely unconcerned. I'm confident your suspicions are wrong, Sergeant. We don't commit murder up here. We're a deeply religious people. Religious? With ruined churches? No ministers, no priests, and children dancing naked. They do love their divinity lessons. But they, they are, are naked. Naturally, it's much too dangerous to jump through the fire with your clothes on. What, what religion can, can, can they possibly be learning? J jumping over bonfires. Parthenogenesis. What? Literally, as Miss Rose would doubtless say in her assiduous way, reproduction without sexual union. Oh, what is all this? I mean, you, you, you've got fake, fake, fake biology, fake religion. Sir, have these children never heard of Jesus? Himself the son of a virgin, impregnated, I believe, by a ghost. I just love that line, um... He's like, he points out like, yeah, you mean the one that was impregnated by a ghost? Yeah. <laughs> Pointing out how dumb, like, he also sees that as kind of dumb if you look at it from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also, and I also forgot to mention this earlier too, but uh, the um, the teacher didn't want to use the word dead when referring to the girl. She wanted to say that they don't use that word. They, they Souls are returned to nature. Right. Returned to the environment, as it were. Um so he gets permission to go exhume the uh, the grave. Yeah, Chris Frilly's like, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Uh, there's nothing wrong, so why would you not be allowed to do it? Mm -hmm. um, oh, also the the line I like, too, from that conversation where they're talking about, like, the, something about the, the true... What, what about the true Christian God? And Christopher Lee says, uh, well, he had his chance, and he blew it. Yeah, he died. <laughs> he died. He's dead. He's he dead. had his chance, and he blew it. A little bit of Nietzsche there. A little bit of God is dead. And he also explains uh, the kind of the unique geography of the island how the reason that they're there, his grandfather came there because the island has unique weather patterns and makes it very conducive to growing a whole bunch of different uh, types of plants that, you know, normally wouldn't be able to grow in Scotland. Wait, weather patterns? Yes. Is Sir August de Winter going to show up? I feel like Sir August may be uh, a young boy hiding in a closet somewhere. 
Like us? Or a wardrobe. Yeah, like us. Exactly. <laughs> Recording a podcast, waiting for his moment. <laughs> Just like we are. Oh, torrential rainstorms. Oh, I'm so hard. Oh, do you know how much it rains in India? Oh, oh more than I can come in a single b- <laughs> leap and bound. That's how you come, is in leaps and bounds. I yes, appreciate that. Like Superman. Absolutely. Um... So uh, they they go and the sergeant uh, takes the caretaker down to the graveyard and they dig up the body, pull the casket out of the ground, pop the top off, and the grave digger starts laughing. What? Why? Because in that casket there is not a young girl. What? No, Brendan. There is the corpse of a hare. A, a a March hare? Yes. A hare that was at one time named Rowan. Mm. I have to assume. Yes. That poor nine year old girl. Her friend died. Back at the Lord's Manor, the sergeant heads there and just hucks the corpse of the rabbit at the Lord. He's like, what the fuck is this? While he's playing piano and singing yeah. with... Uh, and singing with the teacher. Teacher, yeah. yeah. They're having a, having a grand old time, and he just walks in and hucks the corpse at them. He's like, what the fuck is this? I thought you said this is where this girl was buried. This is where this girl was. Where's the girl? He's like, well, that's what's left of her physicality. That's what's <laughs> left of her. Yeah. He's like, what the hell are you even talking about? So he's like, I'm out. I'm gonna go figure out this one by hell or high water. He goes into the local archives and finds uh, finds the picture of Rowan that he'd been looking for, mm-hmm. the one of her with the vegetables. But the thing is, in that picture, there aren't many vegetables there. The crops are dead. The crops are gone. So he figures that there must have been a crop failure, and a sacrifice was made. And a sacrifice was needed to be made. Or... So he's thinking about these pagans and their crazy ceremonies. Yeah, yeah. And he tries to go back into his pl- into his little plane. Yeah. But it's been sabotaged. It's been sabotaged. It doesn't work. He's anybody near this plane? Oh, I would have seen it if the kids had gotten near it. But he goes. But he he ends up going to the library as well. Mm-hmm. I think the plane's a little bit later. He goes to the library right. at first, and then he he reads up on the ceremony, and it further enforces his belief that there's a sacrifice that has been made or will be made. And he find, but he, he also finds that the May Day parade is coming up to yes. more, the next day. Yes, and they in fact Chris, make a reference like, "Oh, you'll want to be out here before May Day." Won't yeah, you? Christopher Lee basically says like, "You'll want to be out here before tomorrow. I wouldn't want you to get offended." Yes. <laughs> so he so he like like we say, the plane doesn't work. He tries to leave because he wants to go get back up, but the plane doesn't work. So he oh. makes the decision he's going to do this himself uh, and find this girl. So he kind of catches. He, he sneaks up uh, where they're having a big gathering earlier in the day, where Christopher Lee stands up and says like, "Hey, we're going to reassemble at three for the march down to the water." Um, and we're going to have this, uh, you know, this holy sacrifice and everything's going to be cool. So everybody get in line and we'll get this done. So he's like, oh shit, I'm going to say, I got to search this town house to house. And so he does, he starts searching house to house, maybe overstepping his authority a little bit. I don't know that police in England have quite that broad of authority to just go, you know, or or in Great Britain, rather not England. Yeah. I mean, they do it in the remake, but they definitely do it in this one too. It's like that you constantly question like what? I don't think you have that much authority. Yeah, even in a small town in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so he searches house to house, but he doesn't find the. He doesn't find Rowan. He does find uh, a naked lady in a bathtub, mm-hmm. which is pretty sweet. Uh, he also finds. Wait, he opens a wardrobe, and a little girl falls out, stiff, out dead. And then it turns out she's not dead. She's just fucking with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he also find. He does find a dead lady, but she's an old lady, and it's in a. I assume the basement of a funeral home because there's a bunch of caskets around. So he has no luck. So he goes back to the pub for a drink for some reason. I guess he really needs one at this point. It's a, it's a really weird day. And I think on his way back to the pub, he sees like all the people with the fucking uh, animal masks looking at him. Right. Yeah, which is which would be real fucking creepy walking down the street and seeing people just staring at you from behind animal masks. Uh, yeah. I would say. 
Um, but he goes to the pub for a drink, and I think they tried to dose him with something, possibly in the drink, but they get him into bed, and then they, they, they stick a severed hand beside him and light it on fire with the hopes of keeping him asleep. I What was that? <laughs> I think that was some weird, like, I don't know if it was supposed to be a ceremony or if it was, I mean, given what happens later on, it could have been a distraction method. I wonder, see, I had a couple questions of the scene. I was thinking either, like, I, I think he said he was, quote unquote, going to take a nap and then pretend to be asleep mm. so they could hear and them talking behind his back. Yeah. Or, when they were talking behind his back, was th- were those two characters intending to, like, kind of let him off? Well, I, I feel like, again, w- when we know what the real deal with this movie is, this scene might make more sense of them trying to drive him toward whatever their purposes are. Yeah. But in the moment, it seems like they're uh, kind of incompetently trying to keep him asleep. Okay. But, but if they're incompetently trying to keep him asleep, though, why would they need to pretend that if they think he's asleep? That's the thing. I don't think they think he's asleep. Oh. I don't know. It's very confusing. I, yeah. I think they could, because again, w- w- the reveal of this movie recontextualizes some of this stuff, and I yeah. think they know what they're doing in okay. this scene. Okay. That's, what, that's what the way I see it. So anyways, yeah, so they, they try to keep him asleep, quote unquote, but it doesn't take, and he gets up and manages to corner the, the pub owner and beat him and knock him down and steal his costume. He's got this crazy clown costume with a mask. He was the fool. Yeah. So... So he puts on this costume and goes and joins this procession, which is heading down to the sea, and they're all dancing around, and they're wearing wigs and stuff. Christopher Lee's got a very lovely uh, long black wig. Yeah, Christopher Lee's, like, almost kind of in drag? Yeah, almost, almost, yeah. I would say. Um, but they're all costumed up. Some of them are in masks, some of them are in wigs, They're all, and some of them are playing instruments, and they're making this procession down to the sea. Um, and there's a wagon that has a person in a rabbit costume. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh shit! And my thought was like, that's Rowan. Clearly, okay, she's the one that's wrapped up in there, right? So they arrive at a henge, I guess you would call it, like like Stonehenge, but only one. Mm-hmm. And uh, they begin the ceremony where these like six guys stand in a circle and basically make a star of David with their swords. Yeah, and everybody starts walking through, and they walk into the middle of them. They bring their swords down and then raise them back up. And I'm guessing they're going to cut yeah. when the sun goes down. Yes. That's what I was understanding. Yeah, I believe so that it was a game the, of chance. Game of chance. Yes. Yeah. So they, so they, everybody's doing it, and they eventually kind of push, uh, push uh, the sergeant in through because he's in costume. He's supposed to be the pub owner. So he goes through. The swords come down. They come back up. Everything's cool. And then the fucking rabbit comes through. And when the rabbit comes through, the swords come down and just fucking slice the head right off. Yeah. And to me, that was the most startling moment of the movie when that happens. Like they're just like holy fuck, and then you see that oh no, actually it was a little girl in that costume, and that was a fake head on top. Well, I mean, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think she's like twenty or something. Well, she's like small, small enough that she was shorter, was able to like keep down short in the costume so that her head wouldn't be cut off when they actually did it. Right. And everybody has a hilarious laugh. Yeah. Oh, she evaded death. Oh, oh she's so funny. Um, but that was a ruse. And then they go down to the water and they perform a sacrifice of, I think it's wine or beer or whiskey or some some liquid that they Giving have. it to the ocean. They're giving it to the ocean, so they break open these barrels and the dump people them in, in the ocean. People in whiskey galore would cry their eyes out. And they're like, okay, now we got that sacrifice done, now we got to make the big sacrifice. And they turn around and look up the hill, and they out of the mouth of a cave comes Rowan. <gasps> She's alive. Which, I gotta say, so at this point, 
uh, how he sees her and yes. immediately runs up and punches the guy that's guarding her, yes. which is hilariously yes. recreated in The Wicker Man, which I don't know if you know. Yeah. I, if you don't, I no, won't mention I it. But it was hilariously recreated in the remake when Nicolas Cage does the same thing under slightly different circumstances. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so he runs up, he punches her, and he's like, I'm a policeman. I'm he, punches the, he punches the dude. Punches the dude, yeah, yeah. not her. He yeah. doesn't punch the kid. Yeah, knocks no. Rowan. No, he punches the dude, knocks him away, and, is like, and she starts on tires. Like, I'm a policeman. He's like, oh, help me. I'm a, she's like, oh, help me. Help me. And then so they run into the cave. And then we begin... So the rest of this movie's music has been really like traditional, really weird. Like it gets real seventies. We get real seventies guitar, like chase music, yeah. like really wailing guitar. And so they're chased through the cave, blah blah blah. You know, it's a chase, right? So they run through the cave. Eventually, they find a hole. They climb up through the hole to freedom on top of a on top of a rock. But when they get up there, who's up there already, Brendan? But Christopher Lee, <gasps> the Lord and... Summer Isle. Willow and Willow and the teacher and the rest and of I the believe the librarian. Yeah, I think the rest of the town is there as well. Well, not yet, but they're they're coming. They they come up over the rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is a real and this is the big reveal. And I want to play this reveal because well, let's, let's just play it then. Yeah, let's play a little clip of this reveal here. Welcome, fool. You have come of your own free will to the appointed place. The game's over. Game. What game? The game of the hunted leading the hunter. You came here to find Rowan Morrison, but it is we who have found you and brought you here and controlled your every thought and action since you arrived. Principally, we persuaded you to think that Rowan Morrison was being held as a sacrifice because our crops failed last year. I know your crops failed. I saw the harvest photograph. Oh, yes, they failed all right. Disastrously so, for the first time since my grandfather came here. The blossom came, but the fruit withered and died on the bough. That must not happen again this year. It is our most earnest belief that the best way of preventing this is to offer to our god of the sun and to the goddess of our orchards the most acceptable sacrifice that lies in our power. Animals are fine, but... Their acceptability is limited. A little child is even better, but not nearly as effective as the right kind of adult. What do you mean, right kind of adult? You, Sergeant, are the right kind of adult, as our painstaking researches have revealed. You, uniquely, were the one we needed. A man who would come here of his own free will. A man who has come here with the power of a king by representing the law. A man who would come here as a virgin. A man who has come here as a fool. Yeah, so there you go, guys. There's the big reveal is that they've been luring him this whole time uh, and he is the intended sacrifice. Absolutely. And How so they, And so they grab the sergeant, they strip him down, they clean him off. They paint his nipples. They paint his nipples, just like you got to do in any good sacrifice. Yep. Um, and they dress him in a white robe. And they put bees on his head. Oh, wait, that's a different movie. That's <laughs> a different movie altogether. Um, and he, um, he, of course, the whole time is is professing his Christian faith. And oh, yeah. And he's being going to be saved by Jesus Christ, and they're all crazy. Yep. Um, Christopher Lee does this haunting speech. Absolutely. He puts him in a giant wicker man. Well, that's the thing. He says, you have an appointment with the wicker man. Yeah. And it's <laughs> this giant 
literally man statue made like wicker like a wicker basket and not to mention there's animals in there too yes animals in there as well for the sacrifice all packed in and so they they haul him up there the big scottish guy with the beard big fat guy drags his ass and dumps him in the the wicker man and Mm -hmm. locks him in there and um and they all begin singing as the wicker man is then set alight uh, the the sergeant prays and uh, uh, yells that he's going to be you know he's going to be reborn or whatever, but uh, the fire uh, begins to consume it. They all continue to sing and dance, and uh, the last shot we see of the movie, we see the head of the wicker man beginning to engulf in flames and slowly collapses over, and is then we reveals the sunset in the distance, and then we have credits. He's dead. He's fucking. That's dead. the fucking ending, guys. That's the ending of the movie. He fucking dies. Um, we never know if the crops failed again or not. Well, and interestingly, uh, before we kind of get into the background of this movie, um, before he gets to that point where he's kind of, he kind of starts like begging a little bit, mm. and he tells the townsfolk, he's like, listen, your crops are just going to fail yeah. again, and then what are you going to do? You're probably going to want to uh, sacrifice Lord Summer Isle himself, because yeah. how can you get any more of a sacrifice than what I'm what I'm representing? Yeah. So, Lord Summer Isle, you can do this now, but you're just going to die next year. See, and the funny thing is, is if he had just, you know, been a little looser with his morals and had a fuck to check, he wouldn't have been an appropriate sacrifice. That's crazy. They're testing him the whole time. They yep. give him every opportunity exactly. to fuck up. And exactly. They, the whole thing was a ploy from the start. It's crazy. It's mm. crazy, Jason. Mm-hmm. Shall we get into the background of this film a little Tell bit? Tell me about this movie. Well, the writer of this movie, Anthony Schaefer. Anthony and, Schaefer's The Wicker Man, if the credits are to be believed. Yeah, they credit the screenwriter right at the top. Yep. Directed by Robin Hardy, but Anthony Schaefer's the writer. Uh, in 1989, he actually wrote a script treatment for a move, uh, for a, a direct sequel called The Loathsome Lambton Worm. And uh, um, Robin Hardy had no interest in this project, though, and it was never produced. Because basically what he wanted to do was have a direct continuation from this movie. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to suggest that somehow, Jason, how he escaped this alive, <laughs> which makes no sense. No. Um, of course, we know in 2006, an, uh, an ill-received American remake was released, uh, from which Robin Hardy and others involved with this movie have completely dissociated themselves. Uh, in 2011, there was actually a sort of sequel released called The Wicker Tree, mm-hmm. and it was also directed by Robin Hardy and featured Christopher Lee in a cameo appearance. A lot of people thought that Christopher Lee was playing the same character that he plays in this, but they, 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 they you know, they get some back and forth. Robin Hardy's like, no, 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 yeah. he's just a similar kind of character, mm-hmm. and it's not a direct sequel, but it's a very similar-esque feel to it. Yeah. Um, Going back to when this movie was kind of made, early 1970s, Christopher Lee is already like a hammer horror regular. Yeah. Like Dracula movies, all that sort of stuff. Lee kind of wanted to break free of this image, and that's kind of why he... And he wanted to take a more like interesting acting roles. And so the idea for The Wicker Man actually began in 1971 when Lee met with the screenwriter, Anthony Schaefer, and they agreed to work together. Um... And then, you know, Robin Hardy became involved. And, of course, the company British Lion, who we've done a couple movies, I think, by that production company. Uh, Schaefer kind of had a a series of conversations with Robin Hardy and said, it'd be fun to make a horror movie centering on, like, old religion. 
Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a kind of a huge contrast for uh, the Hammer films that they were both real big fans of. Mm-hmm. So they come from this. So hiring Christopher Lee is like a fan thing. They're yeah. big fans of him. They're big fans of Hammer. But then they're like, let's get Christopher Lee. But then let's fucking do something completely totally different. different. Yeah, for the yeah. guy. And Christopher Lee, like I said, he wanted to do that. So. Um, Schaefer kind of based a little bit of this movie on a novel he read called Ritual, written by David uh, David Pinner. Yeah. And this movie, uh, this book rather, is about a devout Christian policeman who is called to investigate what appears to be the ritual murder of a young girl in a, in a village. And said, well, let's go, let's start with that as a source material. Yeah. Um, and then let's, uh, let's, let's go from there. Um, Pinner actually wrote Ritual as a... Uh, film treatment for a director named Michael Winner, mm-hmm. who wanted John Hurt to star in it. But uh, the director, Michael Winner, eventually declined the project. He was like, ah, no, I don't want to do this. And so so uh, uh, David Pinner's agent convinced him, you know what, don't write it as a, as a, as a story treatment, mm. a film treatment, write it as a novel. And then you can see if someone will adapt it and pay, pay you to adapt it. So um, Anthony Schaefer and Christopher Lee, actually, so I'm assuming he's an uh, executive producer in some form on this yeah. movie, paid Pinner 15,000 pounds, 1973 wow. money. That's good money. For the rights to the novel. Uh, and Schaefer just basically got to work on the screenplay. Um, he soon pretty much figured out he's not going to do a direct adaptation. He's going to, like, you know, a little bit looser. He also wanted the movie to be a lot more literate than horror movies at the time. He mm-hmm. felt like horror movies were very visceral and gory. And if you watch this movie, there's like, I don't think there's any gore. I didn't notice any blood, uh, really. Very little. Yeah. Um, he wanted it to be more based on, like, just imagery and music and just unsettling stuff. The tone of everything. The feel of it. Exactly. Uh, he actually took, the, by the way, the idea for The Wicker Man from, like, Julius Caesar. There's a line in that where Julius Caesar says uh, uh, the local tribes there had executed their most serious criminals by burning them alive in a huge man-shaped sculpture of woven twigs. So that's how he took the whole Wicker Man idea. Nice. He also said, like, uh, he yeah, and he said, reading that, Schaefer said, this was the most alarming and imposing image I'd ever I'd ever seen or, like, read about. Mm-hmm. And he said the idea of a confrontation between, like, a modern Christian and a remote pagan community uh, was very intriguing to him. So he did some, like, but he's like, I don't want to do it like fucking any Hollywood movie would do it where the pagans are just mindless, yeah. evil simpletons. Yeah. So he did some extensive research on paganism, and I think you can see it in this movie. Yeah. They do explain um, a lot of details of, of this stuff. Yeah, and, like, and they they presented they present the kind of pagan elements of the film, like, objectively and accurately. I mean, yes, there's the crazy shit at the end, mm-hmm. but up to that point, you get a lot of stuff that's, like, it's presented in sort of a accurate light yeah and it doesn't seem like they're not being portrayed as like you know cackling villains about it they're just he just lays out for them what what the deal is and he's the one that uh, the sergeant is the one that takes offense at it more than anything right um accompanied by that in addition to that i mean the um, the music is very authentic Mm -hmm. he made sure to get like authentic scottish folk music of the time uh that would have been you know maybe part of this pagan culture Mm. Uh, and he also wanted like a believable contemporary setting. So that's yeah. why he chose this kind of island to set the whole mm. thing on. This movie was produced in kind of a crisis at the time for the British film industry. Uh, the studio, British Lion Films, was in huge financial trouble. And they basically had to, con- to convince the unions that he was not about to asset strip the company. Uh, John Bentley, who bought British Lion... Yeah. 
needed to get a film into production like right away. Yeah. So luckily, The Wicker Man, a uh, film set during spring, actually began filming in October hmm. of 1972. So they had to make artificial leaves. They had to glue th- blossoms to the trees. <laughs> um, the production was a very small budget too. But Christopher Lee was like really on board for this, and he actually worked on it at first without pay. Wow! So he he believed in this movie. He believed in this movie so much he wasn't getting paid at the time when he was working on it. I'm assuming he got paid later, but at the time he was like, "No, no, we got to get this thing done." Um, so a little a little extra thing here. Um, I I did go and I did read a little bit of an interview with Britt Eklund, mm. who plays Willow, of course, years later. Uh, who played Willow in the film. And this is like, you know, 30 years, 30, 40 years later, she does this interview. And she actually claimed that some of the animals actually did die inside the Wicker Man during the final scenes. Robin Hardy's denied it. Christopher Lee has denied it. Brett Eklund is like, you know what? It happened. (laughs) So I don't know if that's true or not. She also said that she really uh, had a hard time communicating with Edward Woodward and Christopher Lee. She said they are both very dour people. And she was like, I was just so alive and energetic. Um, She's also said she was... This is... I know this is like crazy to you and I or anybody that has seen Bird Eklund. She's not comfortable with the way she looks, as many people are self-conscious. So she was okay with doing the full frontal. Did not want to do the butt scenes. Huh. So she actually has a stunt butt. Wow. Um, you weren't lying. No. She didn't know she was going to have a stunt butt, though. Yeah. She simply said, I am i can't do the scenes with my butt. Mm. Like, I'm just, I'm, I don't like my bottom. I've never liked my bottom, she said. Um, and not only that, Jason, but any scene where they're outside, mm-hmm. it is so cold that some of the actors are sucking on ice cubes so that you don't see their breath. Wow. That is how cold it is. Um, and a lot of them are naked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just think about that scene where they're like painting up uh, Howie. Yeah. Oh, with man. like no shirt on. Right on the edge of the ocean in the fall. Like, yeah. Um, Britt Eklund also found out in the midst of filming that she was four months pregnant. Oh. <laughs> and uh, she... Uh, um, must have knocked that nude scene out early. <laughs> she. Funny enough, the interviewer asked her about Edward Woodward uh, looking all hot and bothered while she did her dance in the other room. And she said, well, that must have been acting because he was a stick in the mud <laughs> uh, and she's like they were they were very closed people um, and she said even the director Robin Hardy didn't like her because apparently he originally wanted the the actress who plays the librarian Ingrid Pitt like mm. the, the other blonde woman yeah. he wanted her to be in that Brit Eklund role yeah. so he kind of resented her the whole time oh, for wow. it so she did not have a pleasant time on this set it's unfortunate yeah I mean that's you know 1973 I'm not super shocked no but. I mean, going into Britt Eklund's life just a little bit, just yeah. to give this sort of context. I mean, this is a woman who had this horrific marriage. I don't know if you know this, but she was she, mar- she met and married Peter Sellers. Oh, no. within the span of two weeks. Oh no! And it was it. She said she basically was kidnapped. Yeah, like it was basically uh, mental abuse. Talk about dour. The most famously dour comedian that ever lived, Peter Sellers. She says that. Uh, she says that she, uh, if she said if she had to describe his condition basically in relation to today, she said you'd probably say he was bipolar. Yeah. Um, but she said it was very complicated. Yeah. And he was a man who would become extremely jealous. Yeah. Uh, not again, not physically. I don't think uh, abusive, but very like emotionally manipulative and mm-hmm. mentally abusive. 
tracks um, with everything I've heard about Peter Sellers. Yeah, so she's had a crazy life. Yeah. And poor girl doing this movie where no one, like, is giving her anything. And I know, I can tell you from my own experience, that, that even the shittiest job can be bearable if you've got good people around you. But even the best job is insufferable if you've got shitty people around you. Exactly. The last little thing I want to mention here, besides the budget and the kind of the box office take of this movie, is that apparently in the middle of the movie, just to get a reaction out of people and legitimately had to announce this, Robin Hardy in the middle of shooting told the cast, uh, well, by the way, we're making a musical. Because, <laughs> I mean, the first 30 minutes of this has yeah. like three musical numbers. Yeah, there's a lot of songs. Um, but yeah, he just kind of announced it in the middle of filming. So... Jason, I'm going to get you to take a wild guess at this. What do you think the budget for this film was? Oh, Christ, it couldn't have been more than about a million pounds. So $800,000. Oh, okay, so that'd be about like 500,000 pounds. So what do you think this film uh, made at the box office? Mm, Let's say it was a success. It's well remembered. I'd say two and a half million pounds. 98,000. That's it? It's not a success. Wow. Yeah, this film came and went... This movie came out, was largely ignored by critics, and then just kind of found its way after. Thanks to videotape, I imagine, especially in the 80s. It was actually lost for a long time. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, But yeah, that's... that's, There's a lot of background, but that's all I have for the background. Let's get into this movie a little bit more. Can I also mention, too, uh, we we discussed earlier the different cuts of this movie. I had pulled up IMDb at one point here, and it says that... um, Originally, this movie was released at 87 minutes long. Mm-hmm. That was Later, just the version we watched, I believe. I, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I thought the version we watched was an hour 40. Because, no. it says, because it says, Later, a complete director's cut was discovered and re-released. This version is 102 minutes long and features new footage showing Sergeant Howie as a preacher, some erotic scenes, and Lord Summer Isle reading a poem. No, I believe we watched... Our version was no more than 88 or 89 but minutes. But the, the, I'm pretty sure we see Sergeant Howie as a preacher because he's in that scene where he's like he's having the kind of like flashback to standing in front of the church and going through the Eucharist. We do briefly, but yeah. I but I know the... Because, like, spoiler alert. <laughs> Why is this a spoiler alert? Mm-hmm. Jason and I watched it on the Criterion channel, yeah. which I highly recommend people get. Which um, I would be surprised they wouldn't have the actual, like, director's cut on there. But no, because I remember when I saw... When I put it on on the Criterion channel, it did say 88 minutes. Hmm. So, yeah. Weird. There might be maybe there's like more of that in that maybe. version. Um, one thing I want to ask you right away because sure. this is how the the movie starts, and we didn't really talk about this, but yeah. there's a thing. There's a title card at the beginning that is a thank you to Lord Summer Isle mm. and the island for allowing them to film their cut their ways, their, their <laughs> weird traditions. Did you notice that? I, I I noticed it, but I didn't. It didn't register because I hadn't seen the movie, and I'm like. <laughs> But this is it. But it's but it's weird because like it's not filmed like a fake documentary. It's is not it, filmed. Like is a it mo- kind of like um, like with uh, what is it uh, Fargo, where it has based on a true story at the beginning, and that is not at all based I, on a I true mean, story. I mean, I guess the only thing I can really relate it to <laughs> yeah. um, because that's that's all. I, I, I was thinking like, well, that's really like strange. <laughs> one thing that I thought was really cool as kind of a symbol that keeps popping up. I mean, one of the first shots we see is a propeller spinning around and around and around on his plane. Mm. There's that thing where the maypole, they're dancing in a circle. Mm-hmm. There's the beetle that's kind of going around in a yeah. circle. And I think that's a, I think that's like, I don't think it's very subtle. I think it's a message in this movie is that Howie is going around in circles yeah. and he's getting nowhere yeah, with we see this the, investigation. We see, we see circles elsewhere. We see them like people dancing in a circle. Yeah. We see the circles around like the hinges. We see even on the boat when he goes out to, um, when he goes to take him back out to the plane the final time, we see there's even an eye on the side of the boat that is uh, given some attention by the camera's lens. 
Yeah, it, yeah. You, so you uh, obviously caught this too. Yeah. It's it's very like it's very interesting that they chose this kind of imagery. Well, I think I think the circle is pretty important in pagan culture. As well, well, that too, so yes. That would track. But it's interesting that a lot of it is people walking around mm-hmm. in a circle. Like the it, even the scene with the beetle walks around in a circle. I believe the the child in the classroom even says like he keeps going around and around, but he never gets anywhere. Yeah. And that's I'm like, well, that's there that's Howie. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. Um, you're talking about the 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 hairs in the shop. As soon as I saw the hairs, I was like, okay, I'm trying to like sometimes because when I watch movies like this, some of the some of the stuff is not blatantly there. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching this and I'm like, you mean the in, hair, the, in the chemist shop? Yeah, and I'm like, the hairs the hairs are a symbol for fucking, right? Yeah, because one would think they're very open about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I that's what we, I know, we all know. Rabbits love to fuck. Well, that's that's the thing. Fuck yeah. like a rabbit, right? Absolutely. Um, uh, did you notice too that the uh, that chemist shop was full of lots of weird shit, including a jar of foreskins? I believe. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that helpfully was labeled foreskins. Yep. As well as lots of like, what seemed to be like uh, aborted fetuses in uh, uh, formaldehyde in jars. There's also a line where someone says that they are protected by the ejaculation of serpents. Yes, I, we, we, uh, Katrina and I both had a chuckle at that. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. I don't think you've seen this movie, but, you know, there was a film that came out, I mean, this year. Yeah, this year, uh, called Midsummer. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure you've heard of it. I, I know the name. The director, same director of Aria, uh, of Hereditary. Oh, okay. Uh, Ari Aster. And it's this film where this girl goes with a bunch of her friends to a kind of community sort of similar to this. It's like, a, yeah, it's like on this, like secluded island area and they're having like these celebrations mm. and then shit gets weird. Yes. Much like this movie. Um, but like, man, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, it's a hundred percent cribbed stuff from Midsommar from this film. Well, if you're going to steal, steal from the best, right? But hilariously, and I don't want to ruin it cause we are not talking about that movie yet, but he also stole something from the remake of the mm. wicker man. <laughs> Ballsy because he does it and he doesn't make it stupid or yeah. like unintentionally funny, and I I oh it's just it's so we'll talk we about it once we get to that I'll get yeah. but I think it's real interesting that Midsummer one of the biggest horror movies in a while one of the most critically adored ones in a while uh, borrowed heavily from the original Wicker Man and maybe which, it was more successful than the remake perhaps uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> critically and financially yes. I believe I think Wicker Man also bombed at the box office also uh, the whole thing with the the sacrificing for better crops yeah I wonder if this is the first instance of that in a movie because I've seen that plot thread before yeah I think that comes from history I think that that's something that, that okay. there were peoples in the past that had done at various that may have been something the pagans did it may very well be a Christian lie I don't know it, but uh, but do you think it's like do you think this is the first like film iteration of it because I mean, get at us on Twitter. We, I'm yeah, probably no, there's, there's got to be some other movie, from, I'm, like about the Romans or something. Where I'm sure like I'm wrong. I'm sure I'm wrong. But this is the earliest version I've seen of that. So hit us up. Tell us, please. Let us know. We want to know because it's got to be this. This trope has been around for, for thousands of years, literally. So thousands of years in film. Yeah. Another uh, trope that I noticed in this one that I also wonder if this is one of the first times they do it is that whole horror thing where they play a very upbeat song during like a terrifying scene. And yes, Clockwork Orange was the first thing I thought of 
But that movie actually came out the year after this. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if this is the earliest one, or at least close to the earliest one. The idea the idea that Quentin Tarantino would rip off this movie is, is uh, again, sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> I mean, he's open about it, yeah. so... Yeah, exactly. uh, I mean, you could, I guess you could argue, like, maybe Hitchcock a little bit, mm-hmm. but I... Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like that might have been even something that Wells might have done at some point. In maybe. A movie, had a scene with, like, up, like kind of happy-sounding music when there's bad shit going on. I mean, you could argue you maybe the man who knew too much where uh where Doris Day is singing like K Sera Sera mm. during that really intense mm. scene. But I don't think that's quite the same. It's like a like legitimately upbeat song. Mm. They're like singing la da 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 while he's fucking burning he in the wicker death, man. Yeah. yeah, like it's just that contrast and I mean it's kinda overdone now in yeah. horror, but it's just a really cool idea. Mm. And one of the earliest ones I've seen, of course, like I said, Clockwork Orange, Singing in the Rain, classic example Again, of that. folks, hit us up and smarten us up. Yeah, tell us, because I, I, it's the earliest one I've seen. I want to I want to ask your opinion on this. I want to see I want to see where you stand on this. All right. So Rowan Morrison, the actress playing Rowan Morrison. At first, when I saw her, I was like, oh, she's kind of a just like a crappy looks child like actor. A, just looks like a kid. Yeah. Yeah, just like a kind of a crappy child actor. Just a little forced. Yeah. But oh, then I'm wondering. Me. But then I'm wondering, is that intentional? Is that supposed to be like, because she lures him in, right? Yeah. And she's supposed to be a child, so mm-hmm. she's not going to be like the best, most convincing no. person in the world. So I'm wondering if that's like a thing where it's like they consciously told her to be a little phony mm. um, in order to kind of give hints that she wasn't like legitimate. She yeah, because I'm, she I'm sure they would have him. told her like, okay, you're in this position, your character is going to be... Is, is they're pretending to sacrifice her because you're going to draw this guy in so you're going to act like you're just going to lead him along through this. Yeah. You're just going to run him through until you get to the end. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I didn't thought of it that way, but yeah. Yeah, that's why I, th- I kind of went from uh, just a regular crappy child actor to like, oh, this might actually be kind of an even smarter performance. Yeah. Like, maybe. Maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but hell, I'm going to do it. Because I thought the, the nine-year-old kid was pretty good in her role. Like, she didn't seem... She seemed like a child. Honestly, the acting in this film for, like, of 1973, I mean, sometimes you get a lot of, like, over-the-top kind of stuff mm. in, through, through these years, but I think the acting in this film is pretty solid pretty across solid. the board. Edward Woodward, uh, even though he's doing a lot of pearl clutching, mm. he's very convincing, and he's very, like... His facial reactions are really good. Like I, he's love, got some, I love his Scottish accent. It's yeah. just the murder. The way he says murder. He's got I'm some, here about murder. He's got great, like, subtle reactions to things. Yeah. Like, when we played that earlier clip of the Landlord's Daughter song, his reactions mm. oh, are yeah. what he's you want to watch. He's totally just not in his element in no. that scene. And it's great. And he gets... And that's the thing. He's not just this... He's stiff. He's yeah. upper crust for sure. But he's very, like unnerved yeah. at the same time like in that last in that last scene we played where Christopher Lee kind of explains what's going on mm-hmm. he stumbles a lot when he's talking he's yeah. kind of been broken down a little bit where earlier in the movie he was very like I'm here to a th- uh, authority blah 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 blah, yeah. blah and then you see him later and he's like uh, why, why why me I think he's starting to lose it a little bit the town this this being driven in circles is starting to drive him a little batty a little batty a little bit batty um so the other thing I wanted to do is just play a little audio from the final moments of the movie mm-hmm. because I want to hear I want you guys to hear the kind of combination of uh, Christopher Lee doing his like talking while Howie is begging and you know spouting this uh, I believe I looked up he's spouting Psalm 23 which yes. is like a Christian psalm Lord is my shepherd I shall not want yeah he layeth me beside green pastures and then so on and keep in mind he is being burned alive at this time yeah Mighty God of the sun, bountiful goddess of our orchards, 
Accept our sacrifice and make our blossoms fruit. Mighty God of the Son, Hear ye the words of the Lord! Awake, ye heathens! And howl! It is the Lord who hath laid waste your orchards! It is he who hath Reverence made the, the sacrifice. Because the truth is withered away from the sons of men, desire shall fail! And ye shall all die accursed! And so right at the end of that, too, he just looks down and he is, like, defeated. Yeah, because he like, knows the jig is up at this I point. I did everything I possibly could. The only thing I could do now, like you said, is pray. Pray, because, yeah, he knows he's going to burn to death very quickly. Uh, this was actually... I also wanted to mention... So, I mean, we're past that now. Let's get into kind of the critique of this movie from from... I'll skip right ahead. Nothing at the Oscars, nothing at the BAFTAs. Nope. Like I said, this movie came and went. It was forgotten very quickly, uh, which is interesting because 96 on the list. Uh, but in 2004, critics started coming out talking about this movie. Actually, close to when the remake came out is when people mm-hmm. started kind of re-examining this well, film. And, and I know in 2001, Anchor Bay specifically released a, a dual-disc DVD of this with um, the theatrical cut as well as oh, the extended director's cut on it. What an unfortunate comparison people had to make. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I mean... No, no, I'm saying it's the, it's the original film. It was just the original version of the film and then the director's oh, version Oh, I thought you meant film. the original and the remake. No, no, no. Uh, some people, I mean, one magazine referred to it as the Citizen Kane of horror movies. Mm. Like this is, this was highly regarded once that, uh, uh, total film magazine actually named this the sixth greatest British film of all time. Wow. So that's a total shift from what this is. You might say. Um, the burning wicker man scene at the end was number 45 on Bravo's 100 scariest movie moments. It is. It is a terrifying scene. And during this 2012 Summer Olympics opening ceremony, the film was included as part of a sequence that celebrated British cinema. Oh, I thought you were going to say they burned a wicker man at the opening of the Olympics, which would have been fucking awesome. Yes, with Donovan Bailey inside. Is that his name? The the Canadian sprinter? Sure. (laughs) Sure, yeah. With Terry Fox inside. Oh. Oh. Too soon? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, lots of people lo- lots of people liked it. David McGilvery of the Monthly Film Bulletin said it was an immensely enjoyable piece of hokum. And that is my favorite film bulletin. <laughs> Thoroughly well-researched, performed, and directed. Uh, there was some. There was a few negative pe- people. Janet Maslow of the New York Times uh, said it was handsomely photographed with good performances, but something of a howl, even though it seems to have been made in all seriousness. <laughs> uh, decades after, it still receives... You know, all these positive reviews. In 2008, it was ranked by Empire at number 485 of the 500 greatest movies of all time. That's that's cool. Uh, Christopher Lee and Edward Woodward consider The Wicker Man their best work. Uh, they both are... I, I mean, Christopher Lee considered it his best film. Edward Woodward says he thinks uh, The Wicker Man is one of his favorite films and that the character of Howie was the best part he ever played. But to be fair, Brendan, both of those guys are dead. So what do they know? <laughs> True. Um, 
I think that's a fair point. They also said that the last shot of the Burning Wicker Man is one of their fav- best final shots. It is. It is. It's up there. I put that up there with the the Lawrence of Arabia transition to the sunset. Like that is such a great shot. It really is. It really yeah. is amazing. Uh, and I can't imagine how long it took them to set it up and get ready for it, and to make it to make that burn in such a way that it burns exactly to come down to be able to see the sun in that position. Well, I mean, this is 1973. This is not a CGI no. creation. This is a practical effect. Do it real. Uh, and they, I'm guessing they had one shot. Yeah, probably. Uh, British heavy metal band Iron Maiden. Are you familiar? Yeah, I am. They had wrote a song called The Wicker Man, uh, inspired by the movie. Uh, Radiohead released a music video for a song called Burn the Witch, made in stop motion, and basically the story is very close to The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's what everyone thought of it. But Jason, what did you think about it? What did you think of The Wicker Man, number 96? That was a really cool movie. It was really fucking weird, and my uh, wife and I were both confused watching it at at points, Mm -hmm. but ultimately, I I enjoyed it. It was way more compelling than I expected it to be. Because, you know, when you get into these 70s horror movies, you know, sometimes... They're weird. They're weird, and it's not my particular bag as far as film goes. Like, that's not the sort of movie that I would generally watch. But, hey, I mean, there's a reason it's on this list, and it is better than some of the films, certainly, that we've watched on this this list already. English Patient. (laughs) What do you think of 96? 96, I think, is a bit low. Yeah. I think I think this movie probably deserves a bit of a bump up. I mean, like I say, even if we knock English Patient down to ninety off the list, well, we could put it at hundred, but then it would bump this one up one, anyways. I think um, oh, I guess Women in Love would have to get off the list. Oh well, too bad. <laughs> uh, I think that um, the Wicker Man. I don't know if it. Yeah, I think ninety six is very far down the list. I don't know if it should be super high up the list because I don't feel like it has a whole... Like, a lot of these movies have a lot more, I think, mm. influence on other movies. I think this has, a, like, a little bit, but not so much as, like, you know, you have your Clockwork Oranges, yeah. you have your your uh, uh, Lords of Arabia's, you know, yeah. the, all these movies, 39 Steps, like, all these movies, I think, have way more reaching of an influence yeah. than this movie. So Absolutely. I think that pops it down that, a little that bit. That probably is part of it. Although I would also argue, like, I, I like this better than Don't Look Now. I, I think oh, that this wow. would be a better... Hot. Take. Hot take. I, I just think this would be better high up on the list. Not that Don't Look Now is bad or anything, but I think mm. I just enjoyed this one a little more. Okay. Yeah. So. Well. See it. Stick that in your pipe and blow it. Take that to the bank and smoke it. Take that to the plant and eat it. All right. We're going to eat? We're going to uh, eat? We're going to be like the... We're going to be the... What are they called? The, the... The something eaters? We're going to live like kings. Hell damn ass kings. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... I, uh, I, I think, I, yeah, I think it's, I'd probably put it somewhere in the 70s or 80s, yeah. honestly. A little higher. Just yeah. a little higher, guys. We'll see where it falls. Yeah, maybe put it in Elizabeth's slot. Yeah. Yeah. Better slot. That's right. We're the worst. <laughs> we are, we're horrible. Sorry, folks. We're canceled. We're, we, we say it every week, but yeah, we're going to be canceled at some point, so get ready. <laughs> get ready. Archive to, these episodes. Get ready to not listen to the show anymore. <laughs> these are going to go to the same place that those Donald Trump blogs went, just disappeared from the internet and only existing in Cody Johnson's personal collection. Oh, I love your deep cuts. Thank you. So, Jason, we are done talking about The Wicker Man. Yeah. Well, this one. This we'll one. come back to it. Oh, we're going to come back, come back to, it. to it one day. We, we're promising you folks right now, we will come back to the Wicker Man. But now, Jason, it's time. It's time? It's Vader. Time, 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 time. And as usual, with the spirit of Leon White deep in our souls, we are going to roll these dice and find out what our next movie will be. Wait, how does that make sense, Jason? 
Well, uh, the list is 100 films, and we have two die 10s, one of which is a 10s and one of which is a 1s, and through the power of random fate, we will figure out what the next movie we watch will be. The number on the list was... Yes, it'll be the number that we roll. Exactly. It's very simple. Very simple. And if you don't understand it, maybe it's time to check out, guys. Maybe it's time to check out. Maybe you find out. Maybe, maybe you go listen to the Ricky Jervis podcast or something. Maybe oh, you... Uh... Oh, harsh. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go, Jason. This is very exciting. Oh, we're we going to roll one at a time, right? We're going to roll one at a time. Okay, so we, okay. got the, we got the tens first. So okay. we are in the 40s. 40s. Okay. All righty. And ladies and gentlemen, 40... our next number, 44... Okay, 44. We've done it. It's Black Narcissus. All right, we'll go watch that movie again. Here we go again. All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're going to try again. We're right, going. Here we go. Here we here go. go. Here we go. Here Our 10s. Oh, no! Where did it go? Oh, no, it's in this tiny closet and we can't move. <laughs> oh, no. This is a bad idea. Jason, I can't open the door. Okay. We're going to try. Here we go. Number two. What do we got? 20. 20. Okay. And then we're going to go for 26. Uh-oh. I think we've done this one, too. <laughs> uh, nope. Oh, oh, a very interesting one, Jason. Number 26. Number 26, 1992. Neil Jordan's The Crying Game. Oh, a movie I've never seen but heard of. Yes. Uh, so you have heard about The Crying oh, Game. Oh, I know the twist of The Crying Game. <laughs> So yeah, oh man, I haven't seen this movie in a while, but I remember, spoiler alert, sure, yeah, I remember really liking it. Yeah, and so, uh, I remember the 90s and everybody talking about this movie. And this is our second Neil Jordan movie, because we did Mona Lisa as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, so, oh. Yeah. So, next week we're going to talk about the crying game. That's a movie with a guy who maybe isn't quite what you think. So, Jason, next week. Next week. We're going to talk about a, a huge movie. A big cultural uh, uh, touchstone in the 90s. At least as far as we're concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, the crying game. We'll talk about that next week. But until that moment... You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Screen and Country. You can also find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D on Twitter. And, of course, you can suggest things for him to sacrifice to the gods on there. He takes uh, email. He takes Western Union. Uh, whatever you got. Just uh, let me know of an appropriate adult to sacrifice uh, so that the coming crop doesn't fail. Right. Our crops are looking good, I want yeah, I mean, to say. they're looking real good. So, I mean, I don't want to put all my uh, eggs in one basket or put my cart before the horse or I mean, any other hoary old idiom, but... Uh, I mean, I'll just mute the microphone here so no one can hear. Okay. I mean, all those people in the mausoleum, like, we killed. Yeah. So, like... We, we know that. I mean, we, we murdered them. I mean, they, That's why our crops are so nice. Yeah, well, exactly. Alec Guinness was rude. He was very rude. He's oh. very rude. He, we, I asked him about Star Wars, and he hit me. What? Yeah. Just because he said, "I've not wanted to talk about that in a long time." Is it a just, long is it time. just because when you asked him, you you spit in his face? Is that the only reason? I mean, that's just what we do here in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Well, we're not in Nova Scotia. We're though. not we're in Brunswick. Well, yes. I grew up in Nova Scotia, and I'll yes. tell you, that's what we do. Um, that microphone's muted, right? Okay. All right. All right, all right, all right. Let's go back. To show. Nobody heard that, right? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good story, Jason. Yeah, you guys are great. So, yeah. So I'm just gonna say to you. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screaming Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. I plan to sacrifice your virginal flesh. 
but I'm 43. I just want to make it with a lady first. And the fate is moving and the finger points to you. He knocks you to your feet and so what are you gonna do? Your time was frozen, now you've got something to say. The piper at the gates of dawn is calling you his way. You watch the world Directly from a sweaty closet in New Brunswick, Canada, it's for screen and country. Hi, I'm Jay Batts. And I'm Michael. And we're the hosts of a very thought-provoking show called The What If Podcast. On it, we'll explore the big and little what-ifs of life and steer our listeners toward a better understanding of the real or hypothetical situations we might find ourselves in. Or not. On our journey, we'll learn interesting facts and fictions about the everyday world. And sometimes, most of the times, we'll dive headlong into rabbit holes that slide up against the subject and sharply turn away from it. Come along with us. We'll have fun and learn something new together. New episodes release every other Tuesday. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and anywhere fine podcasts are archived.